have in my hand. Powerful word of God. Can change lives, heal broken hearts, save man's soul. Lord Jesus, today, speak to me. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn to your neighbor and say, it's Labor Day. <laughs> Tegan, I wanted to compliment you on your softball poster. I saw it the other day. That's yeah, pretty cool. Pretty cool. And uh, she's jumping in the air. And I wonder how they froze all of you like that. Did they Photoshop that or did they all just jump at one time? And, and then they made it. Okay. Boy, I started to say, if they just, if they all did that at one time and they caught you all, it's a, that's, that was pretty impressive. But uh, anyway, it's a fun poster. And try to get my hands on one and get it up here so you can see it. We'll put it back there on the back. All right. Oh, mercy. It is time to get into the Word of God. Amen. <laughs> We do real quick there, Brother Jeff. I want to give you a little promo about what's coming up next uh, Sunday. So, yes, just if you'll start that for us. week we kick that off and it'll be a lot of fun. It's a great, going to be a great series. I think you'll enjoy it. But today we want to talk a little bit about Labor Day. What are you worth to God? Really, when you think of labor, you're paid for what you produce. True? In most cases. Um, unless you're independently wealthy and you just kind of get paid to sit around and watch your money grow. <laughs> That's awesome. If God means what He says, He's going to reward us according to our labor. And so we ought to be asking ourselves, I wonder what we're worth to God. Labor Day is tomorrow. And if you've been listening to radio and television, you've probably been hearing them remind you that it's Labor Day weekend, and uh, they've always give the lake reports about how much water is in the lake or not in the lake. So if you want to get to the lake, get there. Uh, they always talk about the percentages of rain that you'll experience on those kind of trips. Uh, we had a big percentage of rain possibility today, but it's looked like sunshine and a thousand degrees out there. So, But by the way, it is the 1st of September, and... It's supposed to be cooling down, and hopefully it will. Now, I don't know any uh, popular songs today that deal with work or labor. Um, but I remember a couple of old ones that maybe some of you will remember. You load 16 tons, and what do you get? 
St. Peter, don't you call me because I can't go. <laughs> who, who did that one? Tennessee Ernie Ford. Now this one I wasn't quite as familiar with. But the words are up in the morning, out on the job, work like the devil for my pay. But that lucky old son got nothing to do but roll around heaven all day. Any of you ever hear that song? Frankie Lane. I don't know why I decided that song would fit, but it does. Because it talks about work. Obviously. Uh, they just don't write songs like a Ernie Ford song anymore. Uh, I can hear that old bass voice singing that one, can't you? Labor Day. As a special day for a lot of reasons, but maybe the number one reason for many of us is the fact that we have something to do on Labor Day. We go skiing or fishing or to see relatives or whatever it is. A uh, working uh, a, a boy, a man's sons have been working for this a friend of his, for over a year. One of the sons was receiving the same salary as when he started and seemed to be unhappy with his job. The second son had received a raise. The third son had received a very generous raise. Curious about it, the father went to his old friend, president of the company, and he said, Hey, Jim, my three boys all work for you, and I appreciate you giving them positions in your company, but I have a question. You pay one of them 2500 a month, another 3000 and a third 5000 why the difference? The president leaned back in his chair and was silent for a few moments, and then he answered, Well, maybe I can show you why. Do you have enough spare time to wait around here for, uh, for a while? Oh, I can stay all day, the father said. Well, I hope it won't take that long, but let's see. So he picked up the phone. He called the 2500 a month son and told him, I hear the Ontario has just docked at the wharf loaded with furs. Please go down there and see what cargo she's carrying and let me know. About three minutes later, the president's phone rang and the young fellow said, I didn't have to go, go down there to get the information. I just telephoned, I telephoned them. They're carrying 1,500 seal skins. The president said, thank you. He buzzed the next son, a $3,000 one. He says, the Ontario's just docked. Will you please go down and see what she has on her board and let me know at your earliest convenience. About an hour later, the phone rang and the son reported, I just went down and checked on the Ontario. She has 1,500 seal skins and some miscellaneous skins on board. The president called the third son, the 5,000 one, and he said the Ontario is docked and told him the same story and made the same request. Four hours later, the young man was back and came right to the president's office. He said, well, she had 1,500 seal skins on board and all are in good shape. I contracted to buy them for $25 a piece and filled that order uh, we, had, uh, we, we had from one of our customers. And he bought them for $40 a piece. The Ontario also had 500 red fox pelts. And of course, we don't handle red fox, but I know someone who does. So I called him long distance and made a sale, and the deal will net us about $6,000. There were also 39 mink skins on board, and I went in and I examined them, and they're beautiful. But since you always like to handle the mink trade yourself, I took an option on them for the rest of today so I could report to you. The president said, thank you. You did very well, and I'll check them out immediately. 
The young man left. Turning to the father, Jim said, is your question answered? Yes, replied the dad. The first one didn't even follow your instructions. The second one did exactly what you asked. But the last one gave you his very best effort. Now, what will God say on Judgment Day about us? 1 Corinthians 3, 8 and 9 says, Each will be rewarded according to his own labor, for we are God's fellow workers. So if God means what He says, He's going to reward us according to our labor. Then we ought to ask ourselves this question, What am I worth to God? What am I worth to God? And I think the answer to that would depend upon our answer to three more questions. How dedicated am I? Do I work well with others? And how does God judge my worth? How dedicated are you? Is it enough to to keep me faithful when those about me are ignoring God's will and principles and are following the line of least resistance? Romans 14.6 says, Do not allow what you consider good to be spoken of as evil. Now let those words sink in just a minute. In your wildest dreams, did you ever think there would be a time when mentioning family values or being a Christian would be ridiculed and criticized? Not a word will be said about the Christian pastor and his family and the church that the Muslims leveled and destroyed just over the last several days. Not a word will be said in the mainstream media. There was a high school football player being examined on the field and two of his teammates knelt in silent prayer on his behalf. And did you ever imagine that anyone would be threatening to sue the school over some action like that? Did you ever think there would be a time when people who seek to save the life of an unborn baby would be laughed at and made fun of and described as bigots? Or public prayer and Bible reading would be prohibited. California is still proposing. It's on the, it's on the table, on the desk, that all Bibles be removed. From California. Can't buy one. If you buy one, it's against the law. How about that? Good old California. Things that used to be considered good are now being called bad. And I'm convinced that Satan, he rejoices in that. He twists those things that are good in God's sight, tries to get society to condemn them as evil. But in light of that, I want you to listen to what God told the people of Malachi's day in, in Malachi chapter 3. It says, You have said harsh things against me, says the Lord, yet you ask, What have we said against you? You have said it is futile to serve God. What have we gained by carrying out His requirements? The evildoers prosper, and even those who challenge God escape. Then those who feared the Lord talked with each other, and the Lord listened and heard. A scroll of remembrance was written in His presence concerning those who feared the Lord and honored His name. They will be mine, says the Lord Almighty, in the day when I make up my treasured possession. Remember, Jesus said there will be 
in the end time, people will come and say, Oh, Lord, Lord, didn't we cast out demons in your name? Didn't we prophesy in your name? And Jesus will look at them and say, Depart from me, I don't even know who you are. Those who have feared the Lord and honored his name in Malachi's day remain faithful despite the sneering, despite the ridicule that was thrown upon them. God called them my treasured possession, worthy in the sight of God. So how worthy are we in the sight of God today? Paul says a man ought to examine himself in 1 Corinthians 11. And as we do that examination, let's dedicate ourselves to the Lord, our God. Second question, do I work well with others? Whenever I read Paul's words, we are God's fellow workers. I think of the church as God's assembly line. Someone who comes to the Lord as their personal Savior doesn't come normally after one conversation. It's a series of multiple conversations with different people along the way in their life. And then someone at the very end will have the right opportunity and the right words and the right time to share that so that that person makes that decision. But it's a multiplicity of people involved in getting that person ready. Listen to the last few verses in Acts chapter 2. All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods. They gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes, ate together with gladness and sincere hearts, and praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. That's a fun church to be a part of, isn't it? Our church is like that. We love being together. We had a fish fry last week and uh, out at uh, Wilson's house. And well, I think everybody came and enjoyed all the fish that Sam cooked up for us. And uh, the uh, extra food that was there. I mean, there was, lot, there was lots of food. Amen? I'm sorry? And Sherry's cookies went fast as Jeff brought his bag in and loaded up for his... Uh, yeah. There was at least a dozen that potentially could have gone to folks in need, but Jeff was putting them in his... There were cookies, somebody said. <laughs> didn't, didn't last long. They never do. They're always they're great. We need to call Sher- nickname Sherry Keebler or something. Sherry Keebler, the cookie maker. But what a great church is described here in Acts chapter 2. They were people who labored together and had fun together and cried together and loved together, you see. The book of Judges gives us a Great example of the truth of how God looks at what we do in the story of Gideon. He had the faithful, 300 faithful men. Remember the story? Divided them into three groups of a hundred each. And in the night placed them on three sides of the Midian army. Each man carried a light darkened by a pitcher and a trumpet. And at a given moment, They broke the pitchers and blew the trumpets. And together they shouted, A sword for the Lord and for Gideon. And then, while each man held his position around the camp, all the Midianites ran. 
Because they were feared they were so outnumbered, and yet they weren't. Find that story in Judges 7, 20 and 21. But the result was a tremendous victory. And if the church is going to continue to grow, we have to work together. Each of us willing to do our part. To do a part. Jean Watkins, I appreciate every Wednesday, she goes through the kitchen and cleans up whatever is not clean and then grabs all the dish towels and anything that needs laundered, puts it in the bag and takes it home to laundry. I asked her, I said, Jean, why do you do that? She goes, well, I'm, I'm not busy. I can do it. Okay. What a servant's heart. Doesn't ask anything, doesn't. Requiring it, she just grabs it and goes. So that's what we need to do. Look around us and see what can be done. And grab a brush and do it. Or grab a, a hoe and do it. Or grab a shovel and do it. You see. Teddy Roosevelt once told of a very interesting incident in his life. He said on the beautiful island, little island of Isla Morada. I hope I'm saying that right. There are several hundred homes that belong to people who come to stay just for the summer. I fell in love with that island and spent four summers up there, he said. I had often heard of a salty down easter who lived up there and was called Uncle John by everyone. He was such a character that he was a welcome guest in the homes of all the prominent families. Once when I went to visit in one of those homes, I was asked if I'd ever met Uncle John. And I told him, Noah, but I've been wanting to meet him. Well, he's in our kitchen right now. Come on out. They introduced us, and we liked each other right off, so we sat and chatted for nearly an hour. When I got up to leave, I held out my hand and said, Uncle John, I surely am glad I got to meet you. If ever I can do you a favor, I want you to feel free to call on me, will you? He answered, I certainly will, Mr. President. In fact, there is a favor I would like to ask of you right now. Something that you can do, and I so wish that you would do it. Then Uncle John smiled. Look, he said, and he pointed to a little white church up on the hill. President Roosevelt, you're a Christian, but I haven't seen you up there at church. If you, the President of the United States, would come up there to church, all the people on this island would flock up there. Don't you want them to go to church? Don't you think they need to go to church? Teddy Roosevelt said, I hung my head in shame and told him I'll be there next Sunday. Well, sure enough, next Sunday there was standing room only in that church. I never missed another Sunday in that little white church while I was there. I was ashamed of myself before my Heavenly Father that I had been such a poor witness for Him. Whatever it takes to fill the house of God, let's do it. Let's do it. I love the sign out front that Sam and Vanessa put up for us. Why pigs fly? Surely that's going to get somebody's attention. I haven't gotten any calls yet. But you never know. God's church is made up of faithful witnesses. Working together so that the kingdom might grow. This is no different. Takes me to question number three. How does God judge my worth? I'm sure that to most of us who earnestly try to be good Christians, 
There are times of discouragement. Times when we think we're failures and are worth nothing much to God. There's a passage in the Old Testament that would bear us to remember. God sent Samuel to Bethlehem to anoint the king. Samuel asked Jesse to have all of his sons pass before him and let the Lord pick the one that he would anoint. And in 1 Samuel 16, verses 6 and 7, it says, When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. How many times in our lives have we met someone, made a prejudgment on how they look, only to find out that they're tremendous people on the inside? How many times has that happened to you? Cindy reminds me all the time, even to this very day, she says, watch your facial expressions. She said, you look mean and mad. I said, because I am mean and mad. She said, no, you're just old and crotchety. Oh, I knew there would be commentary. I just knew there would be some commentary. (laughs) Help him, Lord. (laughs) We may be worth more than we realize. And I'm glad that God looks at our heart. And not the outward side of us. When I baptized Earl at, at Kim and Peggy's house in the pool, came up out of the water and I said, how do you feel, Earl? He said, oh, feel clean. I said, I want you to know I can't do anything about the outside. But we've got that inside taken care of. And that's the truth, isn't it? Preacher told about something that happened during a Sunday evening service, rather an informal service. And when he had finished speaking, he asked, does anyone have anything to say? A rather dignified visitor stood up and said, Yes, sir, I'd like to ask, say something. This is the very first time I've been back in this church for 35 years. I attended Sunday school in my grade school days, and I see here tonight my old Sunday school teacher, Mr. Alton. And he turned to face him. Mr. Alton's eyes opened wide as he looked at the stranger who asked, Mr. Alton, do you remember me? I'm Hurley. After a moment or two, a smile came over Mr. Alton's face and he said, It's been a long time, Hurley. I'm getting kind of old. My eyesight's not so good anymore. The visitor continued, Mr. Alton, I want to tell you something that I think will make you happy. I traveled a long way to talk to you and to ask for your forgiveness. We were the meanest boys that ever were in Sunday school. And we gave you all kinds of trouble. I guess I was the ringleader in most of the mischief that went on. On the Sunday before my family moved away, I was particularly obnoxious. And after leaving class, I remembered something I had left in the room and decided I'd better get it since it was my last day here. 
So I went back and as I looked in the door, I saw you seated up front with your head bowed. And it sounded like you were crying. I heard you pray, oh Lord, please help me. Mr. Alton, I stayed a very, very still for a very long time and then I slipped away. For five years I heard inside whenever I thought of you praying there. One day it suddenly occurred to me that I was on the wrong side of the Lord and I'd been there ever since I was a boy. I'd upset the class, I'd upset the Sunday school, I'd upset everything. It made me feel pretty miserable. Finally, I gave my heart to God and I'm an elder in my church now. Thanks to the prayer you prayed that day. I've been thanking God for you for many years now. And tonight, I've come to thank you and to let you know. Now, folks, how about you? Where do you stand with God? If you're not a Christian, if you're not totally totally committed and sold out to God, then Jesus is ready. He's willing to receive you. Will you come? Will you stand? Will you kneel? Will you let Jesus come into your heart? Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you for this time, this morning. A time when we can examine what our worth is to you. Our worth to you was the death of your precious son, Jesus Christ. Our worth to you was how many times we've messed up and you and your servants have extended forgiveness and mercy and grace. God, our worth is based totally upon your love for us. And so, God, if there's one here today that would be willing to name you as their Savior or or just come forward to say, Preacher, I need prayer. If there's just one, God, could we meet with them today and help them lighten their load? Whatever needs to be decided, Lord, would you move in their hearts to do it? Is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.